0: Hello and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson.
1: And I'm Joe Lalo.
0: And this week we've got a great return guest for you guys, fantasy and romance author Katie Cross. We had Katie on a couple of months ago to talk about her experience in successfully selling direct, and uh, she's generously agreed to come back on to answer some questions our listeners shared in the Facebook group, so hopefully they will be questions that you guys find interesting too. And uh, for those who missed it, her first episode is 115, and you might want to start with that one, and you can find it at sixfigureauthors.com, and I'll have it in the show notes for this episode. Katie, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm great. It's always fun to be back with you guys. So thanks for having me back. We are happy to have you. It means less work for us whenever we have a guest. So we like that you do all the talking. We're just like, yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I'll take it. I'll take it.
0: Awesome. Well, it's actually only been about two months since you were last on. So not that long, but it sounds like you've been doing some updates to your business. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to share? Um, You know, I don't know if anyone out there has ever changed a business
2: model before. (laughs) Basically, I went from running my company one way and figuring out a different way to run it, and that has kind of laid out. I do think we should say, to anyone who listened to our old show and clicked on the link and it stopped working, (laughs) that's because I had changed my landing page company. I had stopped working with them because I wasn't running Facebook ads to it. So yes, we are aware, and I appreciate all the emails I got. I know you guys got emails. (laughs) I think we just need to take that down. (laughs) So if you hear that, that landing page isn't working um, right now. But yeah, right now, direct sales are looking great. I've just changed my business model to focus more on writing and my website. So anything that comes in from the retailers is found money for me. And we pretty much run it off of what I do from KatyCrossBooks.com.
0: Are you still uh, tinkering with Facebook or moved away from it or changed things there? For now, I've moved away for, from it. I mean, that I, I can't say that would be
2: forever. But for right now, I've stopped doing paid advertising uh, to try out just this kind of new funnel to, to change how I'm using my operating expenses and to increase profitability more than spend money on more ads and see how that rolls out over the next two quarters. So. We're closing in on the edge of Q1, and already um, it's looking like a really strong business model. So I'm excited to kind of keep pushing forward without ads and all the work and just focusing on my readers and the books, and it's been really fun, actually.
0: Yeah, you get to a certain size with your newsletter mailing list, and you start to wonder, well, can I just sell to the people I already have instead of spending a fortune trying to attract new and not better people, but new people?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then there's a opportunity cost that's associated with ads, depending on how you run the ads. So I was running conversion ads on Facebook because I had a pixel on my website, which is different than the traffic ads. A lot of people run to Amazon, but that requires a lot of work and testing and landing pages and iterations. And I realized the amount of money I was sinking into the advertising cut was into my advertising created an opportunity cost. So I was all time, I wasn't writing and selling books to all the people that were ready to buy. So part of my idea behind this is just reducing the amount of time spent on business admin and increasing on writing. And when you're not focusing so much on Facebook ads and whether they're tanking or whether they're soaring, it works great. I do remember days where I would run Facebook ads and I'd run a couple hundred dollars a day and I'd look at my Shopify and I would have made a couple hundred dollars. And I just think, so I just traded money with Facebook today. <laughs> like I gave them 200, they gave me 200 or whatever it was. And those days are gone. So it's it's fun to see the money in my store is actually money that I have kept for what I want.
0: Definitely. Yes, I've had similar feelings with Amazon ads from time to time. Like, hmm, how much of this is actually, well, they even tell you now and you're kind of like, oh, that's underwhelming. <laughs> how much is yeah. actually attributed to it? I think it's the advertising game, no matter the market, no matter
2: what it is. I think the game of advertising is, is optimizing to the point of profitability, but having to invest a lot of money to get there.
0: Right. Okay. Well, we have about, I don't know, 12 or 15 listener questions. So I guess I better, we, we better get to them. I think Andrea is going to ask the first one from Angie, Andrea, Angie, she liked the a name, so we'll give it to her.
3: <laughs> All right. Angie says, <clears throat> I'd love to know how Katie gets the writing done, especially when managing a business with and without a large team. Hmm. Great question, Angie. So right now I have um, basically
2: one virtual assistant that works about 20 hours a month and she schedules my social media posts. So I provide the pictures and I write them. Sometimes she'll find pictures, but I write the copy and she schedules. And then she helps me with line editing and sometimes proofreading and, and basic stuff like that. So that's she's a huge time saver for me. And then I have other members of my team that help me with like proofreading and beta reading and we run trivia contests at launches and they help me with that. So I do have a pretty small team. At any given moment, we have four active people that I'm working with. Um, but outside that, I think efficiency is my superpower, right? So I run my house and my job in a way that I I basically live in the mindset of what I've meant. So when I'm at work, I, I don't focus on anything at home. I'm not on my phone. I don't answer emails or anything like that. I'm just in my work mode. I'm writing, I'm doing whatever. So I set a timer and I know for that time I'm writing for an hour or I'm answering emails for an hour. And that efficiency and concentration actually saves a lot of time. So I think people underestimate how distracting Facebook is or emails. And so they'll spend five minutes here, five minutes there. But then by the time you get back in your manuscript, it takes a while for your brain to latch onto the manuscript. And then you get pulled back out by another email so you lose sometimes an hour a day in what you could be writing just by switching between tasks. So I think part of my superpower is just focusing on a task at a time, having the timer, like knowing what I'm doing. I, um, I also go to bed early. I mean, I have, a, I have two kids. So I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and a very busy husband and I live in the mountains, right? So I go to bed early. Like sometimes I go to bed with my kids at 7.30 or 8, but I get up at four every day and I work out and shower and have some time to myself. And then I start writing, I send them to school and daycare, and then I work for like four to six hours, depending on, my daughter has short days and long days at daycare. So those are just some like basic hacks on how I run it. But I think the most important thing that I wanna say to your listeners is, my 100% focus is my books. Writing, the two things I do every day is I write, and I do something that brings money into my business. And over time, that makes the biggest difference of all because the writing creates products and doing something with those products every day adds up so that over time you see a rolling effective income.
1: Yeah, that's the super important thing. And I feel like a lot of people, like if they haven't picked up advertising, they feel like, oh, I got to start really focusing on advertising. Like as long as you're producing a thing that is a product, advertising can be used on stuff that, that your product is already out. The product comes first uh that's that's my calm down message to people who are frenzied when they send send their stuff to me but uh so uh the question i have here is from jonathan how do you convince readers in your ads to buy direct and eschew amazon i find my conversion rate for direct ads is very very low granted i have one book and can't offer a great deal as a hook i offer a two dollar off coupon and have been experimenting with various ad copy using different coupon codes in each so i can track
2: So I think there's actually a a bigger thing to his question, right? I don't think the, I don't think the problem is necessarily convincing from the ad as maybe not having built trust. So in his case, I would look at his ads and I would look at his platform and I'd look at his offering and say, what in your, in what you're showing to these people, how are you promising longevity, great deals and a relationship with them? If you have one book and you're offering a coupon and you don't have a way to introduce them to your world, why would they take that? Right. I think the number one comment I get from readers is, I love that you gave me your first book free. Now I want them all. Like I get that all the time. I even had a lady say to me today, she emailed me, she goes, I've never had an author offer me their first book free. This is brilliant. And I'm like, really? It's like every author on the planet does that, right? But she'd never—I don't know—she'd never seen it. So I think in that regard, it's more about building out a really strong funnel. So in my advertising, in my landing pages, in my website, everything I I did was to prove to the reader that I'm here to stay. I have great books that are in your like lane, and here's here's something I can give you to start building a relationship. I think it's more about that than the ads. Um, but also to kind of answer that question more directly, there are like ways you can tweak the copy in your ads to get attention, right? Good headlines, good picture, and good copy will kind of funnel the right people to your landing page to get what you want. I, I I tried a variety of things. I tried one that said, "Amazon, like basically, Amazon is such a jerk. They're stealing royalties from authors. You should support authors directly. And sometimes those did great. Or sometimes I would just say, I wouldn't even bring Amazon into it and they'd come to it. Um, I, I think it's more a co- combined total of the whole marketing funnel than just the ads itself. I don't know if that really answered the question, but hopefully kind of gives a bigger insight.
0: Yeah. It's hard on Amazon too. Like if a cold, cold call, I guess you'd call it, you know, if they're coming in and they have no experience with you as the author. Um, of course on Amazon, they have reviews. Do you do any like testimonials or screenshots of like your stars on Amazon on your sales page? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I would do that on the landing page. I do that in the ad copy. I'd put stars everywhere. It's all about that building trust. Um, If you have like any kind of one-liner, I was just talking to Leslie Penelope yesterday and she like time listed her fantasy book as one of the top 100 fantasy books. And I was like, I hope you put that everywhere. (laughs) Like That's amazing. Talking about like building trust, right? So I was like, any way you can build trust, use... Reviews, testimonials, all that stuff—I would do all the time just to kind of prove to them other people liked it. You probably will too. And here it is for free. Um, I don't want you to have to like. Basically, I don't want you to have to work for this yet. Like, go ahead and have this for free. Just get in my world, and then you turn your focus to building a relationship with them, and that's how you get them to stay.
0: Right. Once they know you and they know they like your work, there a lot of people are willing to jump through more hoops to get it. Exactly. All right, question from Bianca. Do you have any plans to sell translations direct? And I guess have you done translations?
2: <laughs> um, I have fiddled with translations quite a bit and I've worked with several different um translators, different I've talked to different people. I mean, there's so much that I've tried around translations and just none of them really worked out. And my biggest concern has always been I can put the book out there in German or whatever, but I don't I don't have access to someone that knows a language that's gonna help me like write emails to Germans and like do ad copy or Facebook posts. Like It just seems like sort of a dead end for me because I don't have the structure in my company right now to have a system that, that consistently builds that relationship with those readers. So it's one thing to do the translations and throw them out there. It's another thing to do the translations and then build those relationships so you keep those readers and make it worth your time. Because readers... It's not going to be worth it if you're just constantly trying to pull new people in and you're not building up your relationship because they're not going to stay. So you're cycling over low, like your long-term value of a reader, which is how much money they spend on your books over time is really low if you're just cycling through the newbies. But if you're pulling people in and building a relationship with them, you have these, I have people that have spent $200 on my website, right? And in books, that's a lot because they're buying eBooks, audiobooks, and paperback, but that's one person. So it's a lot like lower work. With translations, I never knew how to build systems to do that without speaking that other language myself. So I never, they kind of fizzled out. I never pushed it. I would do translations if I had like a foreign rights agent or someone else driving the systems that help me speak to these people, then I would probably do that. I don't right now have any plans to focus on that because that will just get in the way of writing the books.
3: I love that philosophy. I especially love that you, fo- the focus on building relationships instead of being, bringing in new readers. And that was one of the reasons why my fantasy did well is I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't, um, find new readers easily because the genre I wrote, like it was such a mess of genres. There was a lot of horror in it and a lot of paranormal and romance and some science fiction and medical stuff. I mean, it was just a mess, you know, and um, a lot of my readers didn't realize that, I mean, they, they, once they found me, they would read pretty much everything I wrote, you know? And yeah. so finding that reader, finding those readers was really valuable. The ones that would stick around. And then I knew that once I converted them, they would read, they would go and buy everything, you know? And so when I stopped writing fantasy <laughs> <laughs> and wasn't bringing new readers in as much, cause I stopped writing fantasy <laughs> anyway. Brent asked, I write in a couple of once popular niche genres that were often associated with illustrations and had a specific art style connected to it. What does Katie think of a model whereby your books on the platforms have good covers and are unillustrated, but on your site you direct sell special editions that are illustrated and have covers that are higher quality with the stylized art of the past sold at a higher price point? I love that idea. So I love it because
2: you're offering something. Of more value and you're forming... like From your website, you control that product page. You control that website. So you control the relationship with that reader. You might like see fewer sales at first, but once they see the higher value product and they have a more direct relationship with you, you're going to see those sales pick up the more you work on it. And I think that there's some opportunity to be successful here too if you're still selling on the retailers, maybe not as like a product that's a little less exciting than the one on your website. But then you push them to your website saying, if you loved this, you should check out the illustrated version, right? And then you have like a sample picture that will get them really excited. And you punt them over there in a link and you can start to see your traffic, your sales, all that stuff start to increase. I really like that business model. Any direct sales author that can increase value of what they're offering is, is going to... Like when you're thinking that way, like how do I add more value to the offer that they can't get anywhere else, that's when you—that's when you're thinking through a direct sales mindset because you're setting yourself up for success through that exclusivity.
1: It's interesting because a lot of a lot of uh, folks who listen to us know that we talk about reader magnets and stuff and producing just ancillary stuff to keep your audience interested. And it's if if you have started doing that, if you're listening to us long enough and are paying attention to that, you can just the mechanism you have in your brain for producing content like that can just be moved straight over to value ads to the stuff that you sell direct. Like it's all the yeah. same stuff that might be interesting to people. And it, you know, so you might even have some, some, some background on how to do this. If you've been following along for all these years.
2: I will, I want to add one thing to his business model idea. Um, and just make sure that, that there is an attention to detail in terms of really high quality illustrations really worth it for the shift over into that right and it's it's not just about adding high value as you perceive it it's asking your readers what is high value to them and then providing what is high value to them right so for this guy's business model i would actually want him to test these this illustrated book idea find people to read that one have him for free say so if you'll read this book then I want you to read this other one. And I want you to just tell me everything. What do you like better? Why? And get really nitty gritty, no emotions in this. It's not personal. And find out if that direct sales version is actually the one they want more. Because the where, where people go wrong in direct sales is they think they're offering what their audience wants. At a, Like, I have this really high value thing. They're going to want it. And the audience is like, we could care less about that. Right? So that's the only caveat I would say is prove your market, which just means you know that this is wanted because they're asking for it.
1: Yeah, otherwise you're on the risk of uh, basically feeling like your audience feeling as though you're doing a cash grab. You know, they got to they yeah. actually want it.
2: Well, and how, does, how do you form trust with a company that's not giving you what you want, right? If you look at, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bite Toothpaste. They're like my favorite company in the world. I stock them like crazy. So they're they're a toothpaste subscription service. That's built on getting tooth, like use toothpaste containers out of the landfill. So they send you these little, like, they look like candies and you chew it and it's your toothpaste, but it like saves the earth and stuff, which I'm totally about. So every four months they send me toothpaste and I know they're going to do that. And I trust them. And now they're coming out with like bamboo toothbrushes and like floss and all this other stuff that saves the earth. So I trust them because they're listening to the people who are coming to them for a specific thing. But if they started trying to sell me blush and mascara, I'd be like, no, 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 go back. What are you doing? And then I wouldn't be interested, right? So I think as authors, we do that all the time. And I've done it too, right? Like I was a rock star in fantasy and I started writing romance and my readers are like, no, no, come back. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Come back over here. So that's why I just want people to be aware that what you think is real in your head and high value isn't always what your readers think are high value. So you need to ask before you start pushing into a direct sales model. What is the actual high value target here? Right.
1: Uh, so the next question here is also from Brent, or perhaps uh, a different Brent. Who knows? Uh, in connection to audiobooks, with the growth in quality of AI narration and lower production costs, does she see potential with direct selling AI narrated books with lower overheads and higher profit margins in the future?
2: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, As AI develops, I mean, it kind of depends, right? If let's, in a perfect world, let's say AI sounds exactly like a human voice and can do the tone and voice and speed inflections that we want and look for in audiobooks, then yeah. I mean, if that sort of technology is going to be affordable for authors, then anything that provides high quality and does product creation at low cost that you can then sell, that's a win. And I, I do think it's in the future, I don't know like how far away that is, <laughs> but I, I, and honestly, the future is here in some ways just without AI narration. Like anyone can narrate their own audiobooks for no zero, no, like $0 up front out, like once you've paid for all your equipment and get it out there. And so you have a product that essentially only costs you a couple dollars to make. But if he's speaking specifically to AI, I imagine that's one of the things that my kids will be talking about when they're 30 or 40.
0: All right. Next question is from Denise, and uh, you did touch on some of this in the the first show, so a little bit of a repeat. But she also asked about custom fees, so <laughs> I'll throw it out here. How do you handle taxes such as VAT or sales tax, and duties such as custom fees?
2: So I'm not sure what is meant by duties and custom fees, which well, means like if I you probably
0: do ship a paper back to the a different country. Oh. Although I don't. Think we have to pay for that in the U.S. Is there
2: like a duty for that? So I just shipped. I just tried to ship to Australia, but I couldn't because they were locked down. So then I shipped um, something to the to Wales yesterday, and it was like twenty seven bucks. So it was twenty four dollars more than sending it within the U.S. So I don't know if that's if some of that is customs and duties, or if that's just basically the fee for sending overseas. But I don't. I don't have anything. There's nothing in my company that has a system or like around duties and and customs and that kind of stuff. So the most I do, I send out a t-shirt or some swag or a book to people overseas and it's fine. I just pay a little more money. In regard to taxes. So sales tax is is the most stressful question that everyone, like everyone comes to me super stressed about sales tax, right? <laughs> so I am not a sales accountant and like you're a tax accountant or anything like that. But for me, basically what we do Is I have an accountant that I work with and Shopify, which is the platform that I use, basically notifies me and says, you've had this many sales in this state, which means you might need to start paying sales tax. So we get the reports. We just get the reports from the analytics. I send it to my accountant and she and I talk about if we need to pay sales tax there. What I do know is that there are states where I have business entities that I have sales tax accounts open that I have to file quarterly. So We were military, so we bounced all over the place for a while. So I have three different business presences at once. I had one in Idaho, one in Colorado, and one here in Montana. So some of those are dissolved, but I had to file whether I had $0 or $300 in sales. However much I had, I just had to file quarterly and then pay that and report it. It really is not as scary as it sounds. (laughs) I just on Shopify can specify that people in Idaho and Colorado I don't think Montana has sales tax. We just moved here, so I'm figuring it all out. But in, in the states that collect sales tax, I can have Shopify charge sales tax for that state. So then it just it comes in as part of it. So it doesn't pull from my profit margin. And then we just pay attention to where we're selling the most. Some years that might look like a lot of individual states. Some years it hasn't been a big deal. Um every state's a little different. So that's where I think if you're at the place in direct sales where you're selling enough in individual states to have to start looking at sales tax then you should probably have an accountant anyway, right? You can work with them and figure out, hey, what do we need to do? There are apps out there like TaxJar that you can sign up for and they will automatically track that. They will file the sales tax in different states. Those get kind of expensive. TaxJar can be kind of expensive. But if you have a revenue per month of like 50,000 on direct sales, then TaxJar is going to be your best friend because it's going to charge you less than maybe an accountant would or you'd have to do yourself. At the level that most authors are in direct sales right now, it's probably not something you're going to have to worry about all that much. And I would just talk to your accountant, look at where your sales are, look at your individual state's rules, and just go from there.
0: I know uh, you're in the US, so you may not know this, but I was just wondering if somebody in Europe or something, do they have to care about our, if they sell to someone in Washington state, sales tax. For-
2: <laughs> I don't think so, but I don't know because then there's like that taxes and there's like all that stuff over there that I, I pay someone else to worry about for me because I, I would not be writing books if I was worried about this. And so the, it's worth it like to have the accountant that you can say, this is what's going on outside the U S yeah. I don't have any insight there. All
0: right. So if you make enough, you need to just move to a tax haven or <laughs> <laughs> you have to to, is it British Virgin Islands or something there like that, or Monaco? <laughs> there you go, guys. That's the answer. Move to a country that doesn't have taxes. I don't even know if that's truly the answer, but it is. You can try the though. And it's all, it, it's no. usually the answer if you're a professional athlete. Go to Switzerland, right?
3: <laughs> or buy an island. You know that's.
2: There you in,
0: go. Or live on a boat because then you're yeah. not even. Yeah. Okay. Then you're in the water
3: and you don't belong anywhere, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just got to watch out for pirates then.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something about somebody and I was like, probably better not. There's a certain author who lives in a yacht. He could possibly be a pirate.
2: <laughs> we all know who you're talking about. <laughs> and he probably, probably makes enough. Not where... it. <laughs> like he makes enough where he wouldn't need to be. Yeah, a pirate. He would be, he has someone else doing his books while
3: he's on his boat. <laughs> but but see, I would be a pirate just to be a pirate because it would be fun. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Letty's question is in the first episode, it wasn't clear how she handles pre-orders. Does she charge people when they order or when they get the book? And if it's the latter, how? Yeah, this is a great question. So
2: I cannot pre-order paperbooks, paperbacks at this time. So I go through Lulu Express. It's an app in Shopify. It's a print on demand. So people can order a paperback, it prints and ships to them. Same thing as Amazon, right? But they don't have a setup for pre-orders where it can be collected and held and then shipped. So I don't offer pre-orders on paperback, but I just let people know that paperback is coming on launch day. And I sell my pre-orders ahead of time for whatever price. So I have, I think, six or seven pre-orders up right now and people pay me 4 dollars or $5.99. And then I send them, I just have automation set up in my email service provider and they're tagged. And then On launch day, when it's time to deliver their book, anyone with a specific tag gets the delivery email with the link to download their book on BookFunnel or their audiobook on BookFunnel or whatever. Pre-orders are bread and butter for direct sales because you can catch people when they're excited and they're trustful and they're ready to buy from you versus they might have forgotten about you in a month when the book comes out versus if they've pre-ordered, it will just show up. They'll be excited. They'll read it. They'll buy your next one. So it's... Some people aren't super comfortable with it because it feels like taking money before you provide a product, but a lot of businesses do that, right? Like we pay in advance before a service is granted and we just have to, we have to be good to that, right? And almost all authors are like, I don't know any author that's put a book for pre-order and then walked away cackling. Um, So I would say whatever you, whatever system you figure out, just find a way to have the people who have pre-ordered stored in your email service provider and then just provide, I call the fulfillment email where, oh, it's launch day, the fulfillment email is going out. And we schedule three different fulfillment emails. So at midnight on launch day, at nine o'clock on launch day, and at six in the morning, the day after launch, because sometimes your email doesn't go through or whatever. And so I let them know like, hey, three emails are coming just in case. If you've got this, just hit reply and let me know. Or, you know, and you can set up, depending on your email service provider, an automation or a rule that says, if they opened this email, they won't get this email kind of deal so that they're not getting inundated. But most people understand that you're. Ju- I'm just trying to get you the book and that actually builds trust. So when you're talking about relationship building, that's a really cool way to say, I'm sorry, you just got three emails. I just really want to make sure you got your book because the servers are a mess and sometimes the books don't go through. So that's pretty much how we do pre-order and I'll pre-order like a year in advance. So tomorrow I'm putting up the pre-order for a book that probably won't launch until December or maybe even March of next year, I don't actually have a date for it, right? Like I just know that there's going to be high demand for this book because I've asked and it comes off the brand. I'm doing a novella that launches next Friday and I'm offering this other book at the back of the novella and saying, I I actually say, I don't know for sure what's going to happen in this story. And I don't know for sure what the launch date is, but I know some of you are excited about this book. So go ahead and pre-order it for a cheaper price. And then pre-orders will come in and it's a huge boon to cash flow because then you can start pre-ordering like a year out and your overall like amount of sales is going to drastically increase because pre-orders allow people to pick up the book when they're excited.
1: Yeah, we just did an episode about about how to schedule, and we talk about things like hybrid scheduling, where you, you have a slot, you just don't know what goes in it yet. And I've never mm-hmm. conceived of the possibility of having an active pre-order that sort of is oh, yeah. sort of, you know, like a quantum superposition. Like, it's, I don't know what's in it yet, but you can buy it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, for your super, none of my super readers care. Right. Like, I haven't told me, like, it doesn't matter what you put out, Katie, I'm going to buy it. Right. So it's great. But then at least they know it's coming. And again, that builds that trust of, oh, Katie's here to stay. She's scheduling out like in a year and she's got this book and it's going to be awesome. And, you know, so they it gives them something to talk about and it gives you a product to have that makes it so much easier to extend your brand. Right. And provide products. Yep.
1: All right. So this next question comes from a couple of people and it is uh, any interest in blockchain technology or plans to sell NFTs? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, NFTs. Um, so <laughs> short answer to this is no. <laughs> no. Every time I dive into NFTs, I just end up scratching my head a little. Um, no, I have no plans for NFTs. I, I know enough about it to to be able to talk somewhat educated about it. But for the most part, it just seems like a distraction from writing more books and selling really tangible, significant things that people want. So no, I don't have, I don't have any, any plans for that. All
1: right. Do you, Oh, go ahead. It's funny that uh, I was the one that was the one had to ask the NFT question because there was a behind the scenes discussion about this and I was semi vocal about it, but I won't be today.
0: Your thing is artists getting screwed over, right? It's not like authors doing their own work. Joe is nodding. Yes. (laughs) All right. So what is your take on Brandon Sanderson's recent $30 million Kickstarter and um, what that might mean for authors? Oh my
2: gosh. I don't think I've been so excited about something in a very long time. So here's the deal. When this started breaking, I was like, oh, some people are going to be very angry. <laughs> like it's hard. You put yourself out there on a Kickstarter and you're just trying to scrap by with a couple thousand and Sanderson flows in and he's getting 30 million and breaking, breaking all other like limits and all that stuff. But honestly, I said to my husband, I was like, this is a game changer for publishing and direct sales. And I said, Sanderson just did me the biggest favor ever because he is training $30 million worth of people to buy from the author. Like, these people are buying from Brandon, knowing they're not buying from a publisher. Like, no, I'm buying from that guy. Like, I'm buying from the author. That is like, thank you. Can, can someone else pick this up too? Because people are going to talk more about this. He's training readers to buy from authors. And I think, um, <laughs> I talk, I talk business to my husband all the time and the poor guy, but I was like, I think Tor has got to be losing their mind. Tor has to be losing their mind. Big Five has to be losing their mind. That's a $30,000 paycheck that they just lost. And I'm sure he had some serious lawyer work over his contracts to make sure he could do Stormlight adjacent books, like pretty ballsy, right? So I'm so excited. I'm so grateful. This is a win for publishing. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to look back and we're going to start to see some big, massive ripples from this. This is scary for big five, right? This is really scary for traditional publishing because an author just harnessed $30 million on his own to make his own books. So Tor has to be terrified. And this swings the value of authors higher, right? We're not just people churning out books for the benefit of the publisher. We are people connecting with our readers because our readers are actually most important. And this is the reader saying, we support the author. So do we need publishers? That's really the big question, right? And I think Brandon is proving that no, we don't. Like this guy's probably got an awesome printer. He's gonna pay some people to do fulfillment in a warehouse. It's gonna be like it's gonna be so simple for him and so amazing for the readers because when you talk about high value, desirable books, he nailed it, right? And the thing that Brandon has done right is 15 plus years of connecting to his readers. He has always taken care of his readers, right? And he's always formed a relationship with them. As one of his readers, I know that because he's always provided amazing books. So there's that trust there. Like I know when a Sanderson book comes out, I'm, I want it. And so it's back to building that trust and creating that relationship. And Brandon just called in all of that work to the tune of $30 million. And he saved me a bunch of work. Because people are talking about it, and like, yeah, you can buy my books direct. That's a thing, right? And now he's he's going to change the face of publishing with this. I think so. I think it's amazing. I'm super grateful. I'm super excited for him, and I can't really wait to see what rolled out after this. Honestly,
0: yeah, I've I've definitely seen like on Patreon where people who are kind of like mid list traditionally published authors can just go in there and say you know uh, if you want to support me and then suddenly they're getting like 10,000 a month because they have a larger fan base like we struggle as self-published to get that kind of fan base and obviously it's helped that he's been publishing for 15 years but yes. even so like and but they don't necessarily get paid the way right. like you they could sell hundreds of thousands of copies of a book and that's kind of like, yeah it's okay right <laughs> but well, for yeah, us that's, that's huge dollars win. and mm-hmm. they're getting like okay money like maybe they can do it for a career But you take that same, I mean, I don't know how many people actually backed that to get to 30 million, but uh, let's say it's like 50,000 or 100,000 or something, you know, that's achievable. (laughs) That's like so much more money than you would get for your 25 cents or whatever (laughs) per book through the traditional publisher.
2: The thing, the other thing I love about it is the formation of relationship, right? With his readers, like Brandon knows now. Like what's possible with his fan base. He just used Kickstarter to get some more. He has free publicity going everywhere. I mean, I was getting news alerts on my phone from CNBC when he was at like 20 million and it's still going, right? So Sanderson is going to do this again. This isn't his first Kickstarter and it's just going to change every time. And those readers are going to trust him more every time because he gives them what they want. So that's all that we need to do too. Like it really gets really simple and Sanderson just highlighted it in a big way. So I mean, I'm super grateful. I hope I can thank him one day. Give people
3: what they want. How far do we take that though? <laughs> yeah, not too far. That's <laughs> what they want.
2: i right? have at some weird request.
3: Um, okay. So DL asks, with the serious influence of fantasy inside the metaverse, are you considering VR to be an upcoming potential market or additional avenue for marketing?
2: Yeah, definitely. For sure. It's in development. It's really early. I think it's going to have a, a hard entry point uh, for, for authors because <laughs> you're going to have to find someone to kind of create and put those ads out there. But Facebook is going to make it easy to advertise there, right? As this rolls out. So you can be assured of that, that Facebook is going to make it easy to advertise. Do I think it will be as simple as Facebook? No, because the access is different, right? And it's a different audience, but it's absolutely there. I have I have a VR I'm obsessed with it. Like I work out with it. I do Beat Saber. I I save people from trolls, like all that kind of stuff. It's really fun, especially for fantasy. You get to feel and experience a fantasy world in ways we don't really get to. What that will actually look like will be interesting because it'll just be a different point of access for the average person. Uh, But it's something that I think authors should keep track of as a potential uh, market
1: there's a very Penn and Teller did a very strange thing with a VR game and uh, there's a, a a feature in one of the VR games where you can quote unquote be Penn Jillette. And it's just what he does when he's home. And you literally sit in a VR chair with a VR copy of uh, Moby Dick. And you can read the entire Moby Dick. So someone (laughs) thought it would... There exists a product that you can purchase that is the experience of reading a book in someone else's house.
2: (laughs) That doesn't even surprise me. I mean, can you imagine the people that would pay to sit in Hogwarts and read Harry Potter? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so maybe that's it right maybe authors will there will be a company that has a system set up so an author can come in choose their area have them upload their book and your readers can go pay to read your book in your castle right like there's no telling what it's actually going to be it'll be really fun
1: yeah it'll be cool to see what what comes about all right so the next question is from laura i know katie mentioned wanting a patreon like subscription service on her own website great idea by the way but i'm wondering if she ever used or considered using Kickstarter to grow her impressively large audience even more?
2: Um, I mean, I've noodled over the idea of Kickstarter, but it it just seems too big for me to want to get into because, again, it would just pull me away from writing. (laughs) Um, I have a friend who's running a really successful Kickstarter right now that's just about to fund in, like, three or four days to help, like, do the fantasy paperback and audio, but I kind of looked at the setup the fulfillment, the the communication, all the stuff that went behind it, and for me at my position in my business, like in my career and my income, the opportunity cost, which is basically how much it cost me to be away from writing to do these things, was just too high. Like for the words, I wouldn't get down for doing all that work. It it didn't the swap didn't make sense to me. So I, I haven't planned to do a Kickstarter right now. I do think I could fund a Kickstarter just because I have the coolest audience ever, and they're willing to buy pretty much anything I put out there. Um, so I haven't I haven't done that. I have looked more over the past two months into the subscription model. I'm still proving market on it. I've actually had a good amount of people emailing me about this. Um, no, I probably won't give out all the details right here because I still haven't proven market and I don't know exactly how it would work or anything like that. That's That's up for anyone to try. Right now, I just think with my current existing audience, this answer would be different for everyone. Right now, the subscription model doesn't make sense for me. Um, A Patreon-like model could potentially work. I don't really want to have to pay Patreon my money. I'd rather do that myself. But the back end of figuring it out, um, getting it running, proving audience, finding the price point, all that stuff, um, as I started rolling it out with BookFunnel and Damon and, and a bunch of different people, it just sort of has started to fizzle. And I've been paying attention to that. And usually when that happens, it just means it's not the right time. For me, it's not the right idea. So I've just been kind of letting it go and simmer in the background and writing the books. It started pulling on my writing time quite a bit. And when I started doing that, that's typically a sign to me that I need to reassess. Is this a necessity to bring income in? And if the answer is no, then I can't let it take over the writing time or else the whole business structure and model will kind of fall. So for those that I know some wanted an update on that... I don't plan on rolling one out right now that could change by q4 but the end of q1 i'm not convinced it's something my audience really wants and so we're just continuing with this writing books and putting them out
0: it's actually kind of an ideal thing for someone new to consider who is doing Amazon exclusive because then it's an opportunity to release your books early to mm-hmm. everyone before mm-hmm. you put them into KU. I mean, that's what I do with the Patreon but with the Kickstarter, you're just committed to doing it once. So if you have like a trilogy yeah. or something, you could just release them all early. Um, yeah. so I've, I've thought about that and talked to people too and like I, I, I think we will see a lot more Kickstarters. I mean, everybody's going to be like, maybe I'll get $30 million. <laughs>
2: Anderson, we're going to see a lot, right? Yeah, it's going to be a flood. I do uh, know some authors that are Kindle unlimited bound. And as what they're testing now with direct sales is they will launch a month early just to their website. And then, then after that month, they go into KU and take it, they take it off their website. The thing to notice about that is you're going to take a hit on the other side, right? So you're going to, the cool thing about direct sales is if you launch early, you're going to get cash in hand up front. So let's say you're a Kindle rockstar, and you offer direct sales, and you hit ten thousand dollars that month in direct sales because people bought that early. You're gonna see like a much lower ra- launch, much lower numbers on the Kindle Unlimited Audible side, which is probably okay, right? But what you have to start to then like even out is what what is the purpose of me doing this direct sales before I do Kindle Unlimited? If it's to build relationship, to build trust, to have a different model where you can pull cash in hand and you're not 100 percent Amazon-bound, I think it's worth doing. If you're doing it to make a lot of money, and all of a sudden you're seeing your sales and your ranking all that stuff tank and your overall model isn't improving, then you might just want to reassess kind of why you're doing that sort of a model. But um, absolutely, I, like that's a fantastic model to start direct sales with if you're like Kindle Unlimited Bound.
0: Yeah, I will say I I think I have about 500 Patreon subscribers and I've never really noticed that it makes a difference as far as like, oh, I'm not going to stick in the rankings for as long because those people got the book early. And I get all the Barnes and Noble, Kobo people that wouldn't Mm -hmm. have gotten the book for a couple years doing that. So maybe it's worth trying once for everybody who's interested and you can kind of gauge how it does. Just test the power of
2: it for your audience and see what they do and then just start training them, right? Like start training them to what you want to do. And And that's the other thing though, Lindsay, is like for you, it's like, well, it doesn't really have a cash impact for me, but it also might be because you've trained those people to do that for so long. And then all these other people buy from the retailers that you don't see the cash impact anymore because it's just settled into the cash flow of your company, right? You just know that X number of people are going to get it this way. So these are the rankings you expect. And after you do that enough times, you can start predicting launches and cash flow and you can start actually saying, we did this launch differently and it worked better So we're not going to do this way anymore. We're going to do this way. And then you can start building the launches on top of each other and see that cash growth like increase.
0: I know another thing, a lot of people, and I'm sure this is one of the reasons you're happy to be direct have been concerned about lately is just the fact that you're paying more and more to advertise on Amazon for the same results. And you're still getting the same 70, 35 to 70% royalty. So people are definitely feeling the squeeze and looking for a way to Take Mm -hmm. home 90-some percent instead of the uh, 70, and then if you can get out of that. Well, in Kickstarter, I haven't done one in, like, 10 years. I have only done one ever, but uh, and I didn't have this experience back then. But, you know, if you take off, they can promote it, you know, Mm -hmm. editor's recommendation or just – unlike Patreon, where you really have to bring in all of your people, there's sort of the potential for – for new people, people to find it. New people that just like, like they bought Brandon Sanderson's books and they're like, Oh, let's see what other fantasy happens to be on here that I might like.
2: Well, then wasn't Sanderson prowling around like supporting other Kickstarters? Like he was like starting. That's I heard, I don't know if that's true. Right? I heard that somewhere he was going around like supporting other Kickstarters once he starts hitting like. You better support all the other Kickstarters. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's all, I had a thought to piggyback off what you said, but it just went away. So it'll come back later.
0: All right. Well, we've got just a couple of questions left. Next one is from Charlie. I love how Katie is working to educate readers to buy direct from her. Has she considered bundling eBooks with print as something readers can only get from her direct and any ideas on how to fulfill that?
2: Yeah. So I've done that. Uh, for my audience, it didn't work. <laughs> so if you break down, well, at least on the the two or three times I've tried it, right? So I, if you break down my numbers, then I sell like 70, 60 to 70% eBooks, right? And like 15% paper and the rest are audio kind of deals. So like it varies from months to months. Those are very general numbers for you. Um, the people that want the paperback and the eBook have just been small numbers for me. I know that there are some people who make bank on eBook paperback bundles. So what I do for how to fulfill that, it's actually really easy on Shopify, I have an app called Frequently Bought Together that I love and it is just pre- like I can manually arrange like here's Flame, one of my books, and then you can add Flight and Freedom, the other two books, and then they can just hit add the other two books and then it will it will bundle them automatically. So in that Frequently Bought Together app, I just put the paperback with the ebook and the ebook with the paperback and I said, "Hey, here's a special deal. You can get both for 20 bucks or whatever the deal is, right?" And then it just goes through Lulu. And then they get the ebook delivered through BookFunnel. So it's really simple if you're using like the right app. Um, so far it just hasn't impressed me. Uh, but you know, that kind of thing actually works really well for a middle grade audience, I've heard, because the kids like to read and hear it, right? They want they want to do both to kind of help with reading skills. And then the most, I mean, that's that's more ebook than paperback. Um or sorry audiobook and paperback as a bundle I think has maybe done a little bit better than ebook and paperback as a bundle but um I think it's just it's just your market and your readers right and I haven't actually trained them to look for that kind of thing so if I started talking to my readers about oh I was reading this audiobook and listening or have you ever listened and read or do your kids listen to and read paperbacks because it really helps their literacy you know like if I started talking to them about it more and pushing I bet I would see more sales but I haven't. So that's the other thing. I haven't trained them to it.
3: Yeah. Training is a uh, super important. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my readers, I mean, I'm training my readers for KU only, and I know that I eventually want to go wide, but I mean, most, re- most authors that do romance are in Kindle Unlimited. So I'm like not entirely sure how successful I will be. I've had author friends that were huge in Kindle Unlimited that pulled their books out of KU, went wide for several months, flopped, went back to KU, which I was like, you should have stayed wide for a while because then KU flopped too. So
1: I'm like,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So Ara has a question and Lindsay and I are trying to figure out what it what it is. Uh, we should have asked for clarification on that. And Sarah, uh, Ara, Ara, I'm guessing Ara. Um, she says, is there a range of royalties from the different website providers or payments providers? And Lindsay and I are thinking that she's wondering if like different websites, like with their, their services, the, the structures that they offer payment plans, like, so web hosting and all of the different places that run money for you, if they have different options, like if you have higher, like people buying through them, would they give you a better rate? I mean, that's kind of what we're assuming. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I, I, yeah, there's a couple of different ways I can answer this. So like I've only ever tried Shopify and Samcart. So Samcart was a hundred bucks a month at the the tier that I was doing, and Samcart is really awesome for landing page conversion. Like it's a really cool like landing page and upsells. It was a hundred bucks a month. Shopify is thirty dollars a month, but Samcart doesn't have a store. It's just a landing page, so I can't say hey go here and look at all my books unless I create a landing page with all the books where Shopify it's like a store, they can browse it. And it was only $30. Um, The different royalty providers, if you're talking about like PayPal, Apple pay, uh, Stripe, all of those, they're all pretty similar across the board. Like PayPal was 30 cents plus 3.5% or something. Um, Credit cards are 6%, I believe. So if someone pays me with a Discover or an Amex, then 6% of that sale goes back to the credit card. But Shopify doesn't take any of the individual sales because I pay 30 bucks a month for the storefront. That's it. And then katiecrossbooks.com, the actual address I pay for through Shopify once a year. It's like $17 or something. Shopify, like I just bought the domain through Shopify, 17 bucks a year auto renews. Um, I see... So, back in August, PayPal increased their fees again and it made it completely ridiculous. Like, if I ever wanted to run a sale for like 99 cents, then PayPal got like way too much of that sale, right? Like, I was like, this is ridiculous, PayPal. So, I actually disabled PayPal from my store. I was like, no, like, I'm tired of this. It made the bookkeeping a mess on the other end. And I haven't ever really liked working with PayPal and never saw my sales fluctuate. Like, people didn't stop buying from me. So, in terms of like the different people like payment collectors, I guess is what they are um, Shopify really provides as long as they can do credit you can also do Amazon pay, you can do Google pay, you can do Apple pay like there's all these other pays you can do I don't really see on the other side how much they take I'm assuming it's anywhere from three to six percent and I'm not, like you said, I'm not quite sure if that actually answers the question, but I think that's might've been what she's talking about. So if not, she can email me and, and I can like go into that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I mentioned this on another show, but I saw like the result when uh, PayPal started increasing their fees. Like, a number of the places I shop, all of a sudden it was like, where, where's the PayPal option? It's like, no, would you like to pay in Bitcoin or Litecoin now? Like, Bitcoin is what? coming out now. <laughs> One of my mentors like swears by Bitcoin.
2: He's like, you really need to start offering that. I'm like, oh, that is going to take too long for me to figure out. So <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll have my son figure Maybe, that out when he's 18 or something. Is it Shopify? Can you make, just say like, yes, I'll take Bitcoin? as one of your options? Probably. I haven't even looked into it that much. I just know people are talking about it a yeah, lot. Now.
0: If they if they, go they did back you just the writing take, hole. Take take that it and then forget about it for a couple <laughs> decades. <laughs> See You're what you can retire in 40 years. <laughs> um, last thing just for me to clarify, because we talked about Patreon and Kickstarter kind of as a semi-direct way, but they're actually taking you know, I don't remember what it is exactly. Maybe I end up with like 91% because they're doing the payment processing comes out plus their end. Their so yeah. something to think about. They they do a lot of the work, like the subscription with Patreon, I don't have to right. worry about it. I don't have to sell them every month. They just, you know, people subscribe yeah. and then they get charged. So that's nice. But I, I remembered what I was going
2: to say in addition to that with Amazon ads. The other thing to figure out, is you'd mentioned, like I'm paying more to get the same result. That's why I got off of paid advertising for a while. It's like, you know what? In 2022, we're going to revamp the business model. I'm going to get off paid advertising. We're going to focus on profitability instead of revenue. And we're just going to see where it takes us, right? And it's, it's going beautifully so far. But with Amazon ads, the thing that always killed me about Amazon ads is they're not only taking your advertising money, but 30% of the sale off of that book. So you're actually getting double charged by Amazon for advertising. It is brilliant like, If you think about it from Amazon's perspective, let's have them pay us to sell their product in which we're going to make 30%, <laughs> right? So they're like double making money off of you. If you're like a KU rock star and you're pulling in six to seven figures a month, maybe like that's worth it to you. Like, sure, bring me the money. You can have that much. I'll take this much. But it's something to think about when you have an author that's trying to do like 20 bucks a day and is barely getting by or breaking even. That's a hard, that's a hard model to save. at at those low numbers and with advertising being that expensive.
0: And now they're allowing traditional publishers to do it. So here they're only getting their... 12% 12% or whatever already on the nine ninety nine book and they're going to go pay a dollar per click. And some of them will because they, they think that the publisher wants the book to do good. So mm-hmm. clearly I need to throw $20,000 into my Amazon ads for my it, book and then they get their royalty check. It is like, uh, <laughs> that's not going to cover
2: that. Amazon even charges us to deliver the book. We pay Amazon like money for them to deliver the book to Kindle's. Like how ridiculous is Amazon? And so, like it's brilliant if you think about it. Like some people have to do the thirty percent royalty option because Amazon is going to charge them like a dollar fifty to deliver that book to the Kindle. You've got to be kidding me! That's where Amazon just destroys me. <laughs> like you've got to be kidding. Me. You are destroying authors. Like that's why I love direct sales because there are some people. It's like I can't, I can't deal with that anymore. So when you kind of own the power, it's a little easier to direct it.
0: Right. And they own the servers. So it's not like paying the guy to like turn on the lights in the morning. You
2: know what I mean, like? how scary is that? Right. Like the Amazon presence in the world. It's pretty scary. Oh, yeah. When uh, AWS goes down, you're like, why is
0: half the internet down? What is going
2: on? <laughs> like the day Facebook went down last year or whatever. Uh, anyway.
0: All right. Well, Joe, Andrea, did you want to ask anything else before we release Katie into the Back into the Montana mountains.
3: <laughs> I I personally just want to ask her more about her place where she lives,
0: but we can do that
3: later because I'm like, it's so fascinating. She's like in this random mount, random, in the mountains cabin. Yeah. yeah, we have a little, we have a little house in the mountains. We have eight and a half acres
2: that borders national forest. Um, to the north of us is just mountains and mountains and mountains. But we're only like seven minutes from the bus stop and like 15 minutes from civilization, if that. So it's not like. <laughs> We're not That's way nice. out there like some people are. Uh, yeah, so we live in Montana um, because I'm just a mountain girl, and if I'm gonna run this company and write awesome books, I just like to be in the trees and the mountains every day. So my husband's, I really we're really big outdoors people, so we just want to be outside every possible chance we can. So we just decided to live in the mountains, and we have a it's a pretty small house. It's a two bedroom little cabin. We have like, I'm in our garage. Actually, we have an office in our garage that we put internet in. And then, you know, we have a bunch of little outbuildings because we have only a wood burning, we have a wood burning stove for heat. And it's, it's a really, it's a really charming little place. We love it. I, for Christmas, I like took my chainsaw and just walked into the national forest and cut down a tree. (laughs) And then
3: That's just like so carried awesome. it back. It was so
2: fun. Or we have like UTV and I'll drive my kids around and my dogs will run off leash and we'll go to fallen trees and I'll just cut them with the chainsaw and bring them home and we'll chop them into firewood. So it's a really fun life.
3: So do you, I mean, are you and your husband introverts or extroverts? I'm a total extrovert and he's a hey, total extrovert. I'm a total extrovert. i how do yeah. you handle being so far away from people? Cause I'm like, I think I'd go crazy and I have to have face to face Not necessarily like this, but in-person time with people, you know? Yeah. So sometimes I've been
2: doing mountain living for years now, right? So I think I've almost moved into ambivert. But every time I think I'm getting introverted, I'm like, I just need to go to a coffee shop. Like, (laughs) I'm definitely like fed by other people for sure. I... I mean, there are days where I could, like, during the pandemic, I didn't leave the mountain for, like, four months. Like, I just stayed on the mountain. My husband went down to work. He brought groceries. It was kind of fun. Like, we would just go play in the forest for, like, three hours. But now I go, like, drop my kid, my son off at the bus stop. My daughter goes to daycare, like, four hours and, like, seven hours. Like, she kind of goes on and off through the week. So I get to see, like, her daycare lady. And then sometimes I'll go, (laughs) there's this, like, tiny little podunk mom pop like cafe. So I'll like go work there with all the other 90 year olds. And
3: (laughs) there's like a little mountain. All the other 90 year olds. Are you saying you're a 90 year old too? No, but
2: like everyone else there is like 90, right? Like I'm the youngest by like 60 years. (laughs) So, you know, I like find ways to to get out. But for the most part, I'm like, I just, I just like want to stop writing and then just go on a hike. So that's what I do. I just walk out my back door into the national forest and we're combing the mountains and figuring out all the ridges and It it makes it worth it to me for the days. But I do have neighbors. So, like, you can't really see their houses, but they're not that far away. Like, our property is only eight and a half acres, so it's not like we're, like, 500 acres out there. So, we'll, like, I'll go on walks and talk to the neighbors or at the bus stop I'll see people I know. We had people over for dinner tonight. So, you kind of figure it
3: out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have our property backs national forest monument, our mountain, stuff like that. But we only have a quarter of an acre and I can see our neighbors, you know?
2: <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's what us. we were trying to get away from. My yeah. husband is ex-military. And uh, when we got out of the military, he just needed to be away from people and I just needed yeah. the mountains. And so we went to the mountains and now we're like, yep, we're never we're never going back to suburbia. <laughs> like We will always just be surrounded by land and wild places. So that's where we are. I think this is where we will land. Like we're going to stay here. I'm not going to move anymore. And this is where I'm like, I could write books here for the rest of my life. So that's how I knew that this is where we were meant to be.
3: Yeah. I should have my husband listen to this episode so that he can be both motivated and depressed. <laughs>
0: Cause yeah, he, come see me like with your husband. Me.
3: I mean, he's a yeah. military brat. He wasn't allowed to enter the military because he had a, a disease, a gallbladder disease. But like, he's, he's military minded. That's the way his whole life was all growing up, you know? And so he's like, "Ah, there's too many people. And my husband's totally the same way, for sure. Well, I think that's all for me. I mean, I could keep asking you a million questions. I'm like, it's so awesome. Thank you.
0: Joe, do you have any questions about living in Montana in a cabin before we wrap the show?
1: No, I'll just say that after every conversation that we have with you, I, I leave the conversation thinking like, I am a little baby businessman. I don't, I don't, I need to learn new words even sometimes when I get in. So like, if you are listening to this and you feel that way, at least one third of the hosts feel that way too.
2: (laughs) You know, so it's funny you say that Joe, because I always debate before I get on these, like how business am I going to (laughs) go like on these podcasts? But I do, I use the words and the vocabulary and the thought strategies on purpose because I was hungry for this at one point in my career and I couldn't find it. I just wanted someone who spoke the language I wanted to speak. So I actually do it intentionally because I get a lot of emails from people that listen, especially to your last episode that said, you speak my language. Like, this is what I want to talk about. You know, this is, this is what I want to learn. This is what I want to do. So I just want to start putting those thoughts and ideas out there for people to start ruminating on and to normalize the language. Because if authors can think like entrepreneurs, they will have greater control of their company right? Like we discount our business mind as authors so much. And when you can make that switch and you can start thinking in quarters and working through business strategies and profit and loss, and you can start doing that stuff, it changes everything. So I'm glad you said something though.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, wrapping it up here in about an hour. Can you remind people where they can find you and buy buy your books, not just stock you perhaps? The links,
2: the links will not disappear this time. (laughs) you can go to www.katycrossbooks.com. If you guys want to try out my books, uh there's a subscribe box right there at the top. You can just put your email. If you guys want to see my marketing funnel, that's a good way to do it too. Especially those of you that saw me in January and were able to get in before I closed the landing page, um you'll see the changes in my marketing funnel if you kind of want to see what I'm doing now, but katycrossbooks.com is where it's at.
0: Excellent. Thank you for joining us and thank oh, you for listening. For everyone you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six or stalk katie (laughs) she loves it i do i'm lonely in the mountains she (laughs) needs stalkers
2: (laughs) well thank you so much for having me this is so fun
0: all right thank you and thanks for listening
2: everyone bye-bye
3: y'all later
1: so long everybody